there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. Nursing a bit of a cold. And that certainly is a strong indication that we are getting back to normal in our world. Because other than having the virus last year, this is the first time I've had a head cold in two and a half years. So I'm back out around my fellow human beings. And along with that comes the occasional head cold. So forgive me if I sounded a little bit stuffy. I'm in good spirits because we've got a terrific show for you this week. Our headliner this weekend at the club is Jeffrey Osmus. I was recently turned on to Jeffrey's material, and I've got to tell you, he is an absolute treat. You're going to hear me gush about him possibly ad nauseum before I hit play on the interview. A terrific, terrific talent. So happy to have him in town. But before play you this week's interview with Jeffrey Osmus. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on at the castle this week. Wednesday, the 8th of June, it is our world-famous open mic night, 7.30 p.m. Always a terrific night out, and I've mentioned before here on the show, ever since the club reopened last year, the open mics have been doing so well. It's always been a great open mic, but the quality and caliber of people on the mics, the size and energy of the audiences has been terrific. So if you haven't checked one out recently, make sure you do so. It'll be Wednesday, the 8th of June, our open mic. And then this weekend, as I mentioned, Jeffrey Osmus is in town Thursday, the 9th through Saturday, the 11th. Showtime on Thursday is 7.30 p.m. Showtime on Friday is 7.15. And then on Saturday, the 11th, early show will be 7 p.m. Late show, 9.30. Call the castle at 248-542-9900 for all your ticketing questions or needs. Better yet, go to the website, comedycastle.com. You can punch a few buttons. Boom. You've got your tickets right there. Highly recommend that you do that. I also want to mention this week's bill is particularly exceptional. How's that for some <laughs> that's for some adjectives right off the bat. But of course, I'm biased. I think most of the bills that we have here at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle are fantastic top to bottom from opener to middle to headliner. But this one in particular, it just fits and it's going to be a great show. Billy Reno is opening up the show and then the hilarious Ken Witzgall as the feature. And then, of course, Jeffrey Osmus making, I believe, his second appearance at the Comedy Castle. We'll be closing things out. Okay, before I set up the interview, I've got so many notes here staring in front of me. I guess a little bit of background, I do touch on it in the interview uh, with Jeffrey. He's one of those comics where my only real knowledge of Jeffrey prior to doing my show prep is that a handful of my comic friends here in the Detroit comedy scene are big fans of Jeffrey Osmus. And have told me, say, oh, you got to, you got to hear his stuff. You got to listen to, listen to his new album. And it just escaped me. I, with the preparation for the show and just my other interest, it seems like every week I've got so many things to listen to. So, luckily for me, with the show prep, uh, I, I did a deep dive on Jeffrey Osmus, starting with his fantastic record. I believe it came out just at the start of the year. It's called Prodigal Little Bitch. It's on eight hundred. Pound Gorilla Records. It is fantastic. He's got some really cool uh, YouTube clips out there of fairly recent performances, an incredible performance from Zanies down in Nashville. He's got a clip on there. It looks like it was recorded at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. You can find those real easily on YouTube. His website, 
whitecomic.com. I hope I'm not screwing that up. It's a very, very interesting and provocative title for his website. He's got some great clips on there as well as some published uh, works of writing in various public magazines. <laughs> published works of writing and publications why that makes a lot of sense but no uh jeffrey's also a writer he's got some really cool stuff that you can access right there on his website and i know i know that i am butchering the the name of his website so look there in the notes we'll make sure we put it in there just just forget everything i'm saying as usual all right i'm running out of time to do a proper uh setup for jeffrey so i did a deep dive and right off the bat it it was a throwback his material is so it, it's, it's provocative it hits you right in the face right from the time he uh, takes the stage he's going at the crowd great joke writer and he hits you know he hits topics that too often now are taboo a lot of comics are afraid to do them because they don't want to rile up the audience. God forbid that we should provoke thought and discussion and laughter with our stand-up performances. But he goes right at people. And it really does remind me of a throwback. I know this is an, an old guy, old guy reminiscing, but when I used to go into comedy clubs, it seemed like every single bill, there was several comics, two, three comics on every bill who had that style of comedy, kind of a punk rock type ethos to it, where they really went at the crowd and liked the energy of, of kind of putting the crowd on edge. And you just don't see that as often anymore. And a lot of it is because of the times we live in and the fact that people have thin skins and get offended easily, which is not conducive to stand-up comedy. Hope, hopefully we figure that out sooner rather than later. But for someone that I wasn't really familiar with his work, um, I've absolutely loved it. Uh, shortly, I'll be starting my third run-through of Prodigal Little Bitch. That's how much I enjoyed it. So I guess that's enough of a setup. Maybe too much of a setup? I don't know. You let me know. Anyhow, let me step aside and enjoy this week's conversation with Jeffrey Osmus. <laughs> Hey, ladies and gentlemen, on the other end of my line is our headliner for this weekend, Jeffrey Osmus. Thanks so much for doing this, Jeffrey. I know, as I mentioned, it's been a very busy week for you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm just in the process of moving to New York right now, or I'm there right now, actually. Didn't, didn't you do some time previously? I'm trying to piece together your bio from the information I had. Yes. Didn't you do some time previously in New York? I, I did, yeah. I, I lived here from uh, maybe like 2018, 2019. I lived here for like two years, yeah. And yeah, and it was fun, but I some I ran out of money somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's if 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 you if you like ten dollar pizza and fifteen dollar yeah, exactly. Bud Light, it's it's, it's yeah, it's too, yeah. That's a good thing. It's too expensive to get drunk here, so I can kind of curb my alcoholism a little bit. You're you're originally a Midwest guy, right? The Twin Cities. Yes, I am from Minneapolis. Yep. Which I always tell people, you know, I've been I've been to the Twin Cities twice. And both of them, once was in November, and I think the other one was in early April. And I, I thought it was such a great town. I had such an awesome time. I was pleasantly yeah, surprised. But if the climate were more agreeable, it would be like right. Atlanta. Yeah, it gets, it gets a little brutal in the come winter. But, yeah, I love the Twin Cities. Very artsy town. Very, very like, very cool, like, music and, like, comedy scenes there. Within within 30 minutes of landing in the Twin Cities the first time I was there, and this this full disclosure in case my mother's listening to this, this was in my harder partying days, but it was, I think, <laughs> the last time I ever did ecstasy. Within 30 minutes uh, of landing, my friend put some in my hand, and we ended up, we were in a bar 
where an all-chick clash cover band called clam down was playing and blowing our mind i was like this city where's this city been my whole life that's pretty cool that's a good story you clam- should do that again in your old years i don't know Go whatever back. happened to clam down they're probably in the comedy scene by now so yeah. And that then, sounds fun. So connect another dot for me. It's, it sounds like uh, when I was pulling some of your earlier material, and I also uh, pulled some of your uh, your writing, uh, which is really good. Oh, right. It looks like I it was Madison-based. Is that correct? Did you go to yeah. Wisconsin? Or? Yeah. I went to college in Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, I lived there for like – I went to college. It took me about six years to graduate. Probably partied a little too hard a couple of years. But then I, yeah, I started comedy there shortly before I graduated college. Madison very, is such a great town. Yeah, Madison is the best. I love that. The comedy club there is one of the best comedy clubs, too, so it's a cool cool spot to start at. Yeah, the um, for our listeners who don't know or haven't been, so I'm, I'm Ann Arbor-based. Uh, the Comedy Castle okay. is my home club, but I did a ton of time at the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. I'm a for big sure. Ann Arbor guy, and I would mm-hmm. of the towns I've been to in the Midwest, I think Madison and, and Ann Arbor are very similar in a lot of ways. Not yeah, just, they're very similar very like progressive college towns with cool art and cool nature yeah i love ann arbor's awesome i, I did a couple sets at college showcase very fun place now have you played the castle before i have featured there once i i, I featured for brad wenzel there probably probably a, uh, like six months before the pandemic started right? oh brad's terrific we just yeah uh, i love brad. good friend of mine great... we just had him on he was actually uh in town this past weekend we just had him on last oh, week was so he? oh yeah. cool nice always yeah. enjoy catching up with brad talking a little comedy talking a little wrestling yeah i was supposed to headline comedy guys like right when the pandemic started so this has been a long time coming to getting it rescheduled and everything oh it's such a like great club like you're gonna love your you're gonna love your weekend so i'm gonna i'm excited i love coming out through that bank vault door it's kind of fun <laughs> yeah that's 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 right when i when i first started playing there it wasn't a sliding door. All I remember is I could never get the door right as if, you know, as if you're not nervous enough when you start, when you can't figure out how to open the stage door or <laughs> handle the mic. Yeah. There and should... you're like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I wasn't cut out for this. The, the comedy union, the there, there's got to be there, there's got to be some standardization of the mic stand <laughs> and the mic trigger, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, because sometimes I find myself too weak to move it, and it's an incredibly <laughs> emasculating experience. So I'm like, we're not going to listen to this weak little beta who can't move the mic up and down. <laughs> before, um, before I get into the meat and potatoes of the questions I wrote down, mostly off of, as, as I mentioned in our little pre-interview, you're one of the comics that I know of mostly from some of my comic friends who always say, do you know, have you checked out jeffrey osmus stuff do you know jeffrey osmus stuff and i was like well kind of a little bit so you know obviously i did a deep dive for our interview uh, uh-huh. today but my first question and this is this is forgive me the lamest question i'm going to ask but <laughs> have you actually ever been a first grade teacher i need to establish that right off the oh bat. i do talk about it. i so i a little bit of a fudge truth not entirely i was like uh what do you call it, it was like an after school teacher that was the official classification of the job but it was with like first, second, third, fourth graders. It was like it was like tutoring kids after school, leading them on the playground and all that shit. And I was like a camp counselor for many years during the summers with like elementary school kids. Oh. That was my job. I think with no your, longer. 
But yeah. <laughs> well, I think with your with your act and your material, you probably get that. Are you really, or did you really a lot? I would I would think. Right. You know, yeah. it's it's mostly dramatization. I would think, and it's awesome. I, 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 I'm married to a kernel to a... of truth. There's a kernel <laughs> of truth wrapped around a lot of embellishment, but in the end, most things are like twenty or thirty percent true. But yeah, a lot of it. Definitely not. I'm married to a first grade teacher, and I'm I'm getting oh, yeah. in anticipation of playing her uh, your 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 new record, Prodigal Little Bitch. Which, if <laughs> if we can, first of all, I'm going to promote it for you, ladies and gentlemen, nice. listeners to this program. Get it right now. Download it. It is awesome. It is on 800 pound Gorilla Records, which puts out a mm-hmm. lot of great comedy records, especially here in the Midwest. Prodigal yeah, Little awesome. Bitch is the name of it, and. What struck me right off the bat is, um, you know, just judging by your bio and your picture, I'm I'm older than you by probably 15, 20 years. So it, mm-hmm. it was a, it was a throwback to when I used to go to comedy clubs where on any given night there was going to be at least a couple comics who hit you in the face, who challenged <laughs> you, who who, uh-huh. who tackled taboo. And, and first of all, it's entertaining. It's funny. That's mm-hmm. you know that's a a a base <laughs> premise the, of the, the, yeah basic goal for sure. But it it really you just don't see that very often. So that begs the question: Is this a natural organic style for you? Were you heavily influenced by somebody? How did you come up with this particular style? Um. Yeah, I like to. Well, I like to talk about like the taboo stuff. I think it's funnier. Well, I mean that's why it's taboo is because. You don't hear about it as much, so I think the the payoff is better when you talk about uh, forbidden topic. I I think I'm very influenced by The Simpsons. I think The Simpsons are probably my main comedic uh, inspiration. I think they kind of they're one of the first shows that would go after political religious topics right. and kind of go on both sides of the issue. You never quite knew where the writers maybe stood because in the end they were just trying to show you all the different perspectives south park too south park is yeah. a more extreme version of that but those are probably my two favorite things in the world i wasn't really a big stand-up guy I'm more influenced by simpsons and south park actually yeah that makes sense the the hometown i grew up i grew up in a suburb of d uh suburb of detroit and mm-hmm. one of our claim to fames is um al Jean, one of the creators oh, of the yeah. simpsons uh yeah. went to the high school that are actually our crosstown rivals but we shopped at his, his dad owned a hardware store in a suburb oh, cool. of Detroit for 40 some years. And that was mm-hmm. my dad's number one place to get widgets and whatnots. Wow. That's <laughs> cool. What a small world. What and, a weird. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I know that's a, a grasping at uh, a brush with greatness, but that's about as close I, I, as I, I used to shop I at Al Jean's. <laughs> Those are a few of the people I would be like starstruck if I saw here yeah, the Simpsons writers. Those are, not really a starstruck guy, but I would like to see some of them one day. You know, I'm I'm a fellow Simpsons fan as well, and and some myself and some of my hardcore Simpson fans, uh, we we have a discussion occasionally of the sh- the excellence of that show, the writing, and how high the bar has been set for the better part of thirty years. It's mm-hmm. almost mundane. I hate to say that I take a piece of art like that uh, for granted, but it's almost gotten to that point. Because it's so good. It's yeah, so forget, good. Week after week, forget, it's like, it, let's... It kind of spoils you. I, I don't really find a lot of other comedies all that funny compared to The Simpsons. I think they set the bar a little too high for everyone else in many ways. They just found a really... They're, they're very good at not picking a side. I think a right. lot of comedies make the mistake of, obviously, you know what side they're on. And 
it's kind of boring then because you know where the joke's coming from every time. So that's why I like The Simpsons the best. Well, it kind of it, what kind of occurs to me is knowing that as an influence now is one of the things that the, the, the creators of The Simpsons have been able to do so well is by using cartoon characters, they press mm-hmm. the envelope way more than they would be able to. Because it's not real people, yeah. It's not, yeah. Your act is somewhat like that because I'm not I'm not saying that your persona on stage is cartoonish but it's an elevated version of reality that allows you I think to say in in in, in attack some of the material you do in a way that's not going to turn people off it's it's fun yeah that's a good point yeah it is kind of a caricature of myself up there that makes sense actually holy cow like, Tom, Tom McCarthy said like, something profound tr- yeah no that was good I like that I would never thought about it like that Cause I, yeah, because I like I try to like laugh and smile on stage and be a little goofy because then I think you're you're allowed a little more leeway by the audience. They're like, oh, he's laughing at it. We'll laugh at it, even if I say something terrible. If I'm laughing, then it will like trigger them to laugh or whatever. Yeah, that's I guess that's the challenge too. Is you've probably heard this in the various scenes you've been in, in in in, in the Detroit and the Southeast Michigan scene, mm-hmm. and some of the various places I've played. You you get a lot of complaints, mostly from white comics, saying, you know, I can't do that material because I'm white. I can't do that because I'm this age. I can't do that because I'm male. And mm-hmm. in reality, I still think you can do just about anything in comedy if it's yeah. funny. That's yeah, the thing I... that people forget is like you, some of my contemporaries and even myself, I've attacked a subject that isn't necessarily – you know organic to my act to try and be edgy or but it's just not funny enough and that's yeah, why it, it doesn't work funny <laughs> yeah that i think someone one of the managers at the comedy club in mass when i first started said that it's easy to write an airplane j- food joke because like the bar is pretty low no one's gonna be mad if it's good or bad really but, like if you write an abortion joke it's got to be really good <laughs> that's kind of like the otherwise people are gonna get mad but if it's over a certain like point no one can get mad at it if it's funny enough. Oh, my God. I'm so glad. That is a segue to one of my little uh, questions that I asterisked here on my sheets. But in listening to uh-huh. your material, you've, you've got a great bit about abortion billboards in, in kind oh, of the Midwest. And I like that one. I had a bit about 10 years ago um, on I-75 between uh, Detroit and I think it's Dayton. There's three or oh. four abortion barns where abortion barn barns oh, where they where stuff on the side of them. Yes, where they have painted a fetus and, and different oh. abortion messaging oh, on a barn. And I had a bit about that that I tried to do, and it just went nowhere. And when I heard <laughs> yours, I was like, "Oh God!" Well, there you go. <laughs> that's funny i'd love to see one of those barns that stuff really cracked you weren't me up. you weren't at an open mic in ferndale 12 years ago were you spying yeah. on me <laughs> i was i do that <laughs> i just go to random cities and just sit in the back and write down their premises oh, my my comedy tombstone will be um real strong on premises poor on execution <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my... half the battle that's half the battle i wanted to um I'm curious, uh, and, and obviously just meeting you here over the telephone, share or mm-hmm. not share is, is as much as you would like, but whenever I hear material like yours and, and, and art that really captures my eye and ear, I'm curious about what type of background you come from. Do you come from artistic people? Do you come from educators? Um, 
Well, yeah, um, not. I come from a smart family. I would say they're not. My mom is a special education nurse, which is kind of like a teacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's like teaching like mentally challenged kids. But so she is in education. My dad actually has the same job as Homer Simpson, which is also maybe another reason why I <laughs> like that show. Probably should have led with that. He has the, or he at least used to have the exact same job at a nuclear power plant, which is wild. <laughs> yeah, he he was the safety guy basically at a nuclear power plant. So he was a little more confident, not as boorish as Homer Simpson, but similar similar vibes sometimes. Is your dad a uh, Simpsons fan? Yeah, yeah, that was that's the one. Yeah, we do love The Simpsons. We always we always watch The Simpsons as kids. That's really the only. We don't really we weren't really a TV family. We were more of an outdoorsy family, but we watched The Simpsons. That was like the one the one show we watched. Yeah, I'm from like a suburb, pretty boring, quiet Applebee's suburb. But I went to like Catholic school, but we weren't like that religious. But we got a little taste of it. It was a pretty common Midwest upbringing. I feel oh, like yeah. myself too. Mm-hmm. Like, we were Catholic, but, like, I only really believed in it until I was, like, 13 or 14, and then kind of drifted a little bit. I know. I I was a semi-one-foot-in-the-door-one-foot-out-the-door Catholic. That's the way I was raised. It's just the way in, in my suburban Midwest existence. And when, when I had kids of my own, I decided mm-hmm. I was going to dive in again. I'll give them... Oh, at least yeah. exposure. I even I even taught catechism for three years. I'm surprised that this place didn't burn down when I walked into it. But <laughs> I, I felt like such a hypocrite. Is like, how can I be sane? I believe in the golden rule. Always have. That's kind of my oh, foundation yeah, yeah. of religion. But there was so much that I had to say out of the book and everything. It's like, oh my god, what a hypocrite! I do not believe this at all. So right, yeah. A lot of the, the minutia of Catholicism is definitely a little tough to wrap your head around as you get older. I'm curious, uh, this kind of will lead into kind of my final bat- batch of questions, and we'll kind of take it back, uh, circle back to the beginning. Uh-huh. Moving back to New York, obviously, I'm, I'm sure was for career purposes, not necessarily to in- increase your bank account. I'm always curious uh-huh. when somebody at, at your at your level, you're, you're not, you're obviously, you're not a household name, but you've definitely... Uh-huh generated some some energy and buzz here in the last couple of years you know you were a new face at the uh, just for laughs in montreal which is a huge credit uh-huh. um the business side of showbiz now now that you've crossed off being a quality comic who's creating something different and something new uh-huh. um how are you finding the business side of it is it is it challenging is it frustrating do you book your own stuff are you under management um yeah the yeah so the business side is something i really didn't i kind of took for granted until maybe Sorry, before COVID, I was like, ah, oh, if you're funny, it'll work out. But unfortunately, it's the business you probably know is not all about just being funny. You got to learn how to market yourself and how to like, now it's like you have to be your own social media manager. You got to book your own shows. I pretty much do it all myself, honestly. I do have a manager who sometimes helps me like submit to like write for TV shows, but the shows is all me and all the social media and stuff. It's a lot. It's very, I don't think people realize how much of comedy is not just writing jokes and performing. I wish they would understand that. (laughs) Uh, Isn't it odd that that becomes the easiest part of it? Yeah, that's the part I I don't. That doesn't bother me. I'll write every day. That doesn't bother me. But the sending email, you gotta you gotta send like two hundred emails every month. You gotta you gotta do every social media every day. It's very exhausting sometimes. In a very obviously, I'm not like a construction worker exhausted, but like it's a it's a mental exhaustion for sure 
I checked out uh, I checked out your podcast called You're an Idiot, and that was uh-huh. one of the topics of discussion. Is your I'm, and I'm sorry, your friend and co-host name is what? His name is Alex Dragovich. Alex Dragicevich. Yeah. <laughs> Alex was busting your balls. I was getting a sense of of who you are when he's busting your balls about uh, you being flipped out about instagram followers and oh how's this guy got oh, ten thousand? Yeah. isn't that the worst the, the, I hate the, it. the least consequential part of your life you'll obsess over sometimes yeah. because of this goddamn social media that's killing it's us so all. Stupid. it's turned it in because well, it's turned it into like a contest but it's always been a contest but now you can like see the actual numbers yeah before you couldn't like see like the ten thousand three hundred and twenty five or whatever so it's it's very it, it makes you feel bad about yourself. That's kind of the point of social media. <laughs> it's, it's not great. The most most comics see see it for what it is very plainly, you know, more so than the mm-hmm. than the than the general public, I would say. But with that being said, you got to play the game. I mean, for, for my, that's the, one yeah. thing I've struggled with it's, significantly. It it, it's not. Yeah, I, I think if, if I didn't do comedy, I would probably delete social media tomorrow. But in the modern age, we got to do you got to do social media. We're going to do comedy. In, Unfortunately, there we're linked now. In month number two of the pandemic, I was just so down in so many different ways, and oh, all the yeah. political discourse and bullshit, and people attacking each. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wrote a nice little. Um, I, I wrote a nice little farewell to social uh-huh. media. Oh, that's um, good. I, you know, message me if you need my contact info. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I post it. And then it got so many fucking likes that I couldn't delete it. I mean, how how <laughs> terrible of the <laughs> yeah, that's how they suck you in. Then you're like, maybe I'm onto something here. Yeah. yeah. So so now I faux cancel it every three or four months when my numbers yeah. dip. <laughs> yeah, you're like, follow my journey without social media on Twitter. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Hey, one final thing I wanted to mention too, because I think our listeners who who like your material might find this interesting if they dig a little bit. But you've got. In your um, in your website, mm-hmm. um, which is oh gosh, here why did my it's got a great name to it. Something... Oh, white whitecomedian.com. dot <laughs> com. White comedian dot com. I got that when I was in like college. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Wow. So I pay sixty dollars a year for that joke. And and it says uh, like America's only great white comic or something. Oh, on there. Yeah. I love I love the bravado. I love the balls. I'm I I think it's funny to be faux arrogant. I I think it's so funny. I'm I'm a huge music fan and one of one of my favorite bands from way back in the day. It's called Big Star. They were out of Oh, I love Big Star. Yeah. <laughs> first awesome. record was called Number One Record. I've always right, how great that's is right. that? I do like that tongue in cheek arrogance. I think that's funny. Um, okay, so I promise I'm tying tying this together. Um, so no I go into the website and you've got some published work, and a lot of it is you know five or six years ago. I'm guessing you may uh-huh. have still been in school or transitioning into the real world, but there's some there is some really good stuff in there. Uh, I was able to pull up stuff from um, a publication or online publication called Thought Catalog. I think it was. Oh and yeah, there it's just a precursor to how your comedy ended i felt like i was reading your comedy just right i don't even remember what what were the articles i can't even remember them off the top of my head the best one there was some online dating one but the one that i just read before uh we spoke was 12 meaningless online dating profile phrases which is oh yeah Uh, oh wow I turned that into a bit eventually. Well, that's crazy. Well, great, man. You're just making this so easy for me. You're teeing up all my segues because that was my question. Just like, as I said, I'm a premise guy. Whenever anything strikes me as funny, it goes into my phone. I play it back later. 
try and see mm-hmm. if I can make something out of it. I'm not For sure. I'm not big in the structure of writing things out or the joke structure. What is your process? Um, do you write out a joke and then just hammer away at it? Um, well, it starts with, uh, I have like a, the notes thing on my phone and whenever I think of anything even remotely funny, I write it down. I have like thousands and thousands of little ideas. And then I try to write every day, but probably more like five days a week. I sit down, I pick like 10 of the little ideas that I think are most promising. And then I just kind of, kind of write for an hour or so. I do write it out. I do, I do actually physically write out the words the general idea I, I i set my phone on the other side of the room and set like a timer for like 45 minutes or an hour and i just write till the timer's gone try to do that about every day and then i also try to go through old jokes and maybe punch them up for like half an hour too that's kind of my process every day yeah it's it, it's interesting i've always felt that you know nothing's ever going to be as funny as the first time you hear it or the first time something occurs to you is funny and a lot of the process is how can you recreate that in the context of a bit but it it could be some laziness i know hedberg had a great line about you know his job is you know he'll he'll sit in his bed and think of something funny and then try to convince himself why it's not so he won't have to go across the room and grab the (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's right i know i'm i I know i'm terribly paraphrasing a great hedberg no i I remember that that's funny Uh, yeah it's and also a lot of times i'm really high when i write down these ideas and in the light of the morning they don't really make all that much sense oh my bleary-eyed self thought it was the greatest new record prior joke but it ends up being just absolute gobbledygook writing high thumbs up performing high at least for this guy thumbs seriously down (laughs) yeah i never yeah i never rarely perform high yeah i like i do like to write high a lot i think it makes me very goofy and adds a little bit of levity to the writing but yeah yeah, i can't perform like that opens up a door so um opens up the doors final question i know we've got to wrap um I'm curious with, and I don't want to give too much of a away because I want to encourage our listeners not only to come out to see you this weekend, but but download the album again, which is called mm-hmm. Prodigal Little Bitch. But so I don't want to uh, uh, repeat your bits, um, uh-huh. and I don't want to make it like you're the most offensive comic ever. But you're kind of you you go <laughs> you go after the crowd right from day. I mean, cunnilingus, yeah. uh, cunnilingus, uh, premature ejaculation, <laughs> religion, uh, you know, uh, all right, the good right. stuff, all the classics, all the good stuff, yeah. And, you're you're um you're a white guy of a certain age you're you're not a linebacker or power forward looking dude you're 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 slightish uh-huh. i guess i would say i'm a skinny little bit <laughs> <laughs> have you ever had someone come at you or because people can't take a joke anymore there's got to be yeah. some meatheads who have attacked you uh yeah it ha- actually has yeah they have and they've the stage and actually laid a hand on me but it's happened twice yeah one time in Nashville, like right when, maybe like, yeah, maybe like right when the vaccine came out, I was in Nashville and some guy, I don't remember what I said. I said something about Trump. I can't remember what it was, but he got, he stood up and turned his hat around to reveal a Make America Great Again hat and it just like started flexing and walking towards the stage. <laughs> and then they like, someone like shoot him away and he, he didn't really press the issue, but it was pretty wild. And then there's another like meathead guy in Chicago. I I said I said something really mean to him. I actually I said like he should have been aborted or something like that. <laughs> it was it was it was and one you, of and my you can't take that wrong. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, there's not not much nuance to that insult really. That was a, not my best work really up there. But yeah, he took off his shirt and then he had like a wife beater and he was actually going to go on stage. So the security guard had to had to push him away really. 
And it was the first day the venue had had a security guard, too. So that worked out well. Yeah, it's unfortunately it's it's not much of a laughing matter anymore with the ways no, of the world. No, I know it is. It's un- yeah, it's weird because I'm like I'm not I'm not going to change what I do on stage, but I just know that maybe yeah, maybe I'm working out a little bit more now is what I'll say. Well, it's, it's also I don't know. Just in in my time since I've been on the scene, um, mm-hmm. which goes back about twelve years now, the a lot of the clubs don't have security or certainly not present security. I mean, the comedy castle is so well run and it's two blocks from the Royal Oak, uh, police station. They're oh, low no, key. I good. mean, they're always policing the room, but a lot of the clubs, a lot of places don't. Yeah. yeah or they have like a, they have like a head waiter. Who's like a 23 year old pimply face guy. Who's the bouncer. <laughs> and so it's not really another one of me up there. Not, not much good. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that clubs don't have a uniform security guard. I'm, I'm surprised it's not more prevalent, honestly. Well, you still look young enough and and and, and limber on your feet that you can run like hell. That's probably yeah, good advice. Yeah, I'm very fast. <laughs> I'm very fast. If they want to use their fists, they got to catch me. I think I'll. I think I can outrun most people. So that's well, good. I'm so glad this worked out. And uh, yeah, I can tell awesome. you've got a, you. you've got a new fan just north of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm gonna hopefully I can go. make it out to one of the shows this weekend. If not, I hope to run into you out there on the road. I'll and... be back. I love Michigan. I love coming to Michigan. I was just in Grand Rapids last weekend. It was a good time. Oh, Grand Rapids is a great town. You know, it's yeah. I did my time on the West Coast and and came back to Michigan. I love so much about the Midwest. There's some things I don't like, but I when it comes right down to it, I'm just a Midwestern person. You know, yeah, I just... same. Yeah, I have my quibbles with it, but in the end yeah i think it's the best the best region in the country i think the audiences are the best too kind of a mix of all the worlds i like the audience in the midwest well we're we're partial to detroit you know detroit was always a legendary rock and roll town just that people Uh work hard the blue collar mentality almost like a low-key showtime at the apollo hey i worked hard for these dollars motherfucker you better entertain me and bands from way back when knew how to bring it comics do the same and you you just get a great response here and i know you will too i'm excited i'm excited i haven't i haven't gotten to explore detroit really so maybe i'm gonna try to do that this weekend if you need recommendations hit me up otherwise all the best jeffrey this has been a blast and uh, have a great weekend in town cool thank you thank you so much but there you have it i hope you enjoyed listening as much as i enjoyed speaking with jeffrey I certainly hope to make it out to one of the shows this weekend. If not, I know I'll be seeing him out there. I'd love to get a chance to do a set with him. I've mentioned before on this show, I think recently, that I've had so many good premises lately that I'm having a difficult time working into bits. Uh, you probably hear that every episode because it's on, on the top of my mind. At any rate, one of my favorite premises right now, there's no way getting around it. It requires at some point in time in the bit, I've got to tell some type of a racist joke. Uh, It can be a racist joke about anything, but it really calls for a racist joke. And the fact that something that simple in in, in the framework of what's rather an innocuous, non-offensive bit, at least in my opinion, I just don't have the guts or the stones to do it. Um, and then I, I listen to Jeffrey's record and see his bits and the stones and balls it takes to pull off his type of material. I really tip my hat to him. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you as always to our producer, Joel Fragamani, who makes it sound so good. Thanks to all of you. Make sure you subscribe, spread the word. And until next time, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. (laughs) 